from Integral Life, welcome to Everyone is Right. Serge Tankian is the lead singer of System of a Down, and here he talks to Ken Wilber about the fascinating intersection between art and politics, discussing some of the most important aspects of his life that contribute to the post-everything bouquet of sound that is System of a Down. This conversation was originally published in February of 2004, and is one of a series of free classic discussions we're making available on this podcast every Thursday afternoon. Stay tuned next week for another dialogue, and in the meantime, consider becoming a supporting member of IntegralLife.com. Sirs, hey buddy, it's Ken. Oh, hey Ken, how's it going, bro? Good, how you do, pal? Good, thank you for calling back. Oh, it's, listen, it's great to talk with you. Hey, I've got my aunt on the other line, and... Um, let me get off the line with her, and I'll be right back with That'd you. That's okay? fine. Hey, brother. How are you? Good. How are you today? Good. So, where's your aunt? Uh, my aunt's in New York City. My uncle and aunt. I have an uncle and aunt in uh, this city, and uh, they just called because they had heard something about me. And she does not know what DVDs are. I'm trying to explain to her what <laughs> DVDs are. Now, she wasn't in the uh, checkout stand at the supermarket and saw something on the National Enquirer, did she? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> she, just got, she just got news of this uh, political postcard campaign that I've been involved in regarding, uh, regarding genocide, actually. Um, yeah, Armenian. Do you, is this through Axis of Justice, or is this something independent? Actually, I... I uh, I hit up the guys in System of a Down about doing something with uh, an organization called the Armenian National Committee of America, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and we've worked with them before. And um, I'll go back. There's a couple of resolutions in Congress right now, one in the Senate, one in the House, right. um, to basically uphold uh, the U.S. Congress's commitment to the Genocide Convention, which includes all genocides right. and the Holocaust and right. Rwanda and Cambodia and right. the Kurds and the Armenians, etc. And that's actually running through the House. So we wanted to basically show our support to that. So what we did was we had originally donated some money from a benefit show we had done a couple of years ago for this purpose. And we had these postcards printed out. But what we also did this time is we made the organization put the postcard up on their site. So it'll be downloadable and printable with PDF files and Microsoft files. So people can, you know, download them and sign their name, put a postage stamp, and send it to uh, the Speaker of the House or uh, the Senate Majority Leader. Now, had your aunt heard about this? Yeah, my aunt heard about that. We didn't really publicize it much, but she heard it through That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, is she, uh, obviously your heritage is Armenian, is she on the Armenian side? Yes, she is. Did you and the other three guys in system, how did you run into each other? I mean, since you share an Armenian background, what was the actual occasion for that? It was actually per chance, um, <laughs> even though in many ways there is no chance or, <laughs> you know, destiny, I guess. But yeah. um, we all met through, mostly met through rehearsal sharing situations. Uh-huh. I was playing keyboards in one band, and Darren just started playing guitars and singing in another band, and we all became friends because we were sharing the same rehearsal studio. That's how I met up with Darren years ago. Right. And then Shavo used to be a friend of ours and would come by and try to help manage the band and hang out and, you know, became friends with us, joined up in that way. And then same with our drummer. He used to play in another band and yeah. share rehearsal space. and Yeah. So it was very much organic, I guess. When you and Darren write songs, do you do it 
do you does one come first or the other, or do you sort of whistle at each other, or how do, what's the actual <laughs> process on that? Um, Darren brings in a lot of music. He also brings in a lot of lyrics now as well, and I also write music. I, right. I play different instruments right. and bring in full songs with lyrics as well. Right. And usually, you know, we just complement each other and, and fill in the gaps. He'll he'll bring in a song and he'll play the music and have a vibe for the theme or chorus or something like that in mind and I'll just kind of round it out and get his vibe on it and see how how I feel about it and how it complements it and uh-huh. and we're completely different as people and that complements each other in the music that we do in some ways how would you describe that difference the funny thing is I always say we're completely different, but I think as the years go by, we're getting to be more alike. <laughs> well, a couple of years ago, how might the difference have been described? Oh, he's, he's a lot more erratic and, and uh, yeah. I don't want to say passionate, because I think we both have passion. Yeah. But just um, Volatile, perhaps? More, A little more volatile yeah. than I am, but it's also age. I'm a little older than him, yeah. so, yeah. you know... Um, well, we can certainly uh, yeah, let, let's talk about the music a minute. I don't want to short the Armenian situation, and I know that that's an important, well, it should be important for everybody, but we'll come back and chat about no that worries, a little bit. No worries, no um, worries. Whatever you want to talk about, Ken. Well, <laughs> start with the music, and I just sort of get the accolades out of the way. Um, I think you guys are fucking amazing. And I, the, oh, thanks. The, I mean, all of it, but we can obviously focus on the Toxicity album just because it got the most attention. And in 2001, pretty much every major critic called it Album of the Year, and the band was named Band of the Year and so on. And What is it, maybe four or five million copies of that sold now? Um, yeah, I think five, five maybe. Yeah, five, really amazing. Yeah. To me, what's so astonishing about it, we've communicated a little bit about this and some of the things that we're interested in at Integral Institute, but I'm just interested in as a person, is is the type of consciousness that can transcend differences and find connections, find broader unities, find the patterns that connect, find a space that can hold differences. Right. And this really does come back to a political situation as well, because we're trying eventually to find a situation in the world that can hold differences without right. declaring war on each other. Right. But it manifests in music, it manifests in art, and so on, the kind of spaciousness that we're talking about. And when I listen to music, I mean, it's just astonishing, because you... Thank you transcend and include pretty much every genre I can think of. <laughs> and then when the email I told you, I mean, you know, people are saying, well, this music is post-punk, or that's post-new wave, or that's post-metal, and you guys are post pretty much everything. <laughs> and that's pretty, <laughs> and you include pretty much everything. Calling your music new metal is preposterous. You can listen to your music, and there's metal influences, there's punk influences, there's folk music, there's opera, there's classical and yet somehow, with all of that genre busting, and you switching from one mode to another to another, you hold it in this sort of unified space, which is why it comes out to be a song, or a tune, or a melody. It's just astonishing. So I thought I'd get the gushing out of the way. For Thank you, I appreciate so that. This must be very gratifying for you and Darren and Sabo and the crew to see the kind of recognition Oh, it's, it, it has been. It's rare that you find what I'll just refer to as leading-edge art. We were talking about the avant-garde and why I think that's important, but part of the difficulties is finding leading-edge or avant-garde art that obviously has some sort of depth or quality to it and some sort of popular appeal. Right. It doesn't happen that often. It doesn't. It doesn't. I, I feel very lucky. You know, I never expected to have any type of, uh, this type of at least commercial success or embrace 
from our music, I remember from day one people saying, hey, you know, I work for this major record company, and, and if I can give you some advice, please don't do this or don't do that, and <laughs> all this kind of really, really, you know, unexpected stuff that, that yeah. you're like, wow, they're telling me not to do this. You know, you're never going to get signed if you do this or whatever. Yeah. And I would just say thanks for the advice, and I'd keep on doing whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. And it worked out, and I'm thankful for that. But as far as the different types of music, I really enjoy musical alchemy. I, I like mixing things up. I did a record with a multi-instrumentalist percussion master named Arto Tungpoyajian called Serart, S-E-R-A-R-T. Uh-huh. And we went even further into different genres. We did electronic, experimental, and jazz, and, you know... Um, you, weren't you part of the Bird album? Yeah, I did a track on that by myself as well. That was really fun. I really enjoyed doing that yeah. one as well. Yeah. But yeah, I really like that, and Darren enjoys it as well. Yeah. And our musical backgrounds originally were different, came from a different place, and that helped make it more diverse and dynamic. What was yours, your background? I was more into, like, earlier in my youth, I was more into Armenian music and, like, Armenian revolutionary music sure. was my favorite. Sure, sure songs about freedom and stuff like yeah, that yeah. and into folk and into but not too much folk more into you know 70s music funk disco and old soul and you know that type of stuff a certain amount of pop and then it's, it's later in life i actually got into metal and punk and hip-hop yeah. and goth and yeah everything else a little bit of slayer yeah <laughs> yeah after after four months of touring with Slayer, I really got them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got Rick Rubin, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it, it's been a very fun, interesting ride. One of the things that I always say that I really believe in is that I don't believe that music belongs to us as artists or as people. Mm-hmm. I think it comes through us. Right. You know, it's an expression that comes. If we're doing it right, whatever that means, it's coming through us. We're catalysts. Right. And so we shouldn't pretend we own it. Right. And I don't even pretend that I know what I'm saying half the time because I don't. Like, certain words come up. I'll be playing a guitar and I'll be chanting on something and I, don't, I won't know why I'm saying those words until maybe two years later. Right. And I'll be like, whoa, that's right. probably what it means. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, very much. It's a common phenomenon, really, and there's even an academic study of all of that with sort of transpersonal psychology is a branch of psychology that looks at what happens when people contact or open to higher dimensions of either you know their higher self or spirit or the universe or however you want to conceive it and it's a very common experience that somehow something infinitely more intelligent than i is speaking through me yeah. And that's sort of the moment of creative expression and genuine creativity. And then at some point also, though, there's a recognition that somehow this is my higher self. This is the self of everybody or the spirit of everybody or the universe of everybody. Right. And that's a really powerful moment, I think, that anybody, any artist, and by artist I mean any creative person, whether they're a scientist or a housewife or a waiter or a writer, whatever moments of creativity we bring to each moment is that sort of opening to, you know, a universal presence or however one wants to conceive it. I was reading a book, too, and I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but I'm just going off the fly. I, I remember reading a book that said we're supposed to be playful. Part of our life is supposed to be playful. and It stuck with me that I think the most open times for me has has been when I'm completely goofy and creative and and (laughs) it kind of opens you up to whatever's really coming through and the most serious and 
powerful things can come through that goofiness and openness um, for me. And then how do you see part of what I find so fascinating about this more spacious consciousness that holds all of these differences, makes room for all of these differences, makes more room in the universe, actually, and therefore has a certain compassion. But there's also a certain, for lack of a better term, righteous indignation or righteous anger at the narrowness or the triviality or the brutality that still exists with people that aren't opening in, in a wider way. Right. And that's obviously part of the, I think, some of the tones you can see in your music as well, because there's a playful side of it. It's unmistakable. Much of the music, even though it's very serious stuff, is also very funny, meaning it's light. There's a lightness and an openness about it. But it's also, some of it's as serious as a heart attack, which it should right. be. Right. And then you switch into what can only be called kind of a screaming anger, which I think is entirely appropriate. <laughs> and you know what I mean, though? It's that, uh, it's that strange sort of confluence of almost opposite feelings that you open yourself to this playful creativeness, but part of it is a sort of a shout. Yeah. You know, the, well, the, it's like, to me, like when we first started with the band at the time, I was going through a lot of struggles in my life that needed to come out in that way. Yeah. And um, the aggressive side came out in that sense. However, over the years, I mean, when people ask me, how could you be so angry? And I'm like, I'm not angry. Yeah. And they don't understand that the building of that power to release is not necessarily anger at all or yeah. aggressiveness. I agree. That it's more of like, when I listen to old chants or Native American singing, there's always one point where it goes from like this loopy, oh, uh, turny kind of lost drunkenness yeah. type of ethereal state into this shout. Yeah. Like, oh! Yeah. You know, and it's like that breaking of the silence or maybe screaming at the God. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's kind of like throwing that energy to maybe either out of yourself yeah. or, you know, I, I don't know. I don't really know how, what it is, but it just, I do it, you know. Um, well, that's another side of passion in the positive sense, don't you think? That there's a there's always been a certainly in a lot of the wisdom traditions there's a really interesting connection between passion and compassion, mm. so that there's yeah, a, yeah. you know what I mean there's an opening and a, and and a caring but then out of that like you say there's almost a shout which is sort of a wake up and a here it is and it's and it really comes across in a in a forceful way that's not anger and I agree and I, I sometimes some of the passages in my work people say why are you so angry and I'm like that's not anger. That's not anger. That's basically just uh, intensity of awareness. Right. And I think I get a lot of that off of your music as well, and particularly the alternating. There'll be times when you just, you know, you guys just have violins playing and, and, and bells, and then all of a sudden there's this shout that comes, and, and it's really... <laughs> <laughs> well, Hello. That's, that's the thing. When you go from complete silence into a total scream, it's much more powerful than going from a talking to a total scream. Yeah. You know, that, that dynamic's really interesting. Yeah. So the personal is the political as well. And to me, what unites all of these kinds of interests is when you have a space of consciousness that can hold these different genres, then the same thing, it's that same integrative or integral or open or spacious consciousness that also, if, whether it looks at, at business or art or politics or the world situation, is going to fundamentally experience the same thing, which is, you know, a drive to transcend and include and to break down barriers and, and bring that spaciousness into the world, manifest in the world. And so being involved in, in, you know, in passionate politics as you are makes all the sense in the world. 
was there a time when this was there some specific connection with your Armenian roots that did it was the whole Turkish situation and the cover-up of the genocide is it pretty there? much um, when did growing, that... growing up in Los Angeles and seeing that you know here's the Armenian genocide of 1915 that's not recognized by the United States officially as a genocide right. whereas you know through your grandparents and through red history that it is such right. the whole hypocrisy of it led me to think well if this is one truth that's a truth that's not out there for right. some other underlying reasons how many other truths and injustices are there looming that are that are hidden or covered up and i want to know i want to know you know i've always yeah. had yeah. it led me to have this really um distaste for injustice in my in my heart yeah and so it, it led me to kind of follow the uh money as they say in all events um that occur politically yeah. in the world and see why this happened and how it happened so right. i just read up on it daily and right. it's just kind of almost like a hobby to to just see unfolding world events and predict things and yeah um politically and just you you know yeah it's it could get depressing after a while sometimes <laughs> you gotta walk walk away from it but um but but it's you know it's it's definitely interesting and 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 it like you said it has a lot to do with everything the space um when people say that they're not political or whatnot and, and i don't necessarily think people should be or anyone should be i think everyone should follow their heart and whatever they're supposed to do yeah. in this place but i don't see politics as that much separate from our other consciousness ourselves right. Right. or our personal lives because when when someone is suffering we feel it right. um whether physically or metaphysically or you know um or or over time we see the repercussions of it physically on right. us um or economic economically or whatever yeah and that's important yeah you know um yeah. so to me like and and the whole genocide issue to me is not even political it's personal because i don't have a family tree i can't yeah. i can only trace my family back to my grandfather yeah. and his memories and you know um yeah so it it is one of those things where i have a complete distaste for injustice whether it's whether it's someone getting beat up on the street or a nation beating up on another nation to me there's no no difference really right and there's a strange parallel it might not seem at first but there's a parallel even on the academic or scholarly or philosophical side of the street in the world of ideas which ultimately end up being not more important but at least as important as what happens in quote the real world because so much of what happens in the real world is driven by ideas absolutely and on the visualization ideas, making things yeah and on the idea side of the street i've sort of been i've had a distaste for injustice on what might be called philosophical oppression in other words there are enormous number of truths from the world's traditions, pre-modern, modern, and post-modern, mm -hmm. and you see how little of them are allowed in academia. There's a type of philosophical violence that's very common, and actually, if you get a degree in most universities, that's what you're really getting a degree in, is ways to learn to hate other ideas, except for right. your own. And <laughs> this is somehow called getting a doctorate. I don't quite understand it. But it's um, and that it's definitely I've, not the road to wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and I've you know I, I, that kind of injustice makes my blood boil as well. And so, the path that I set out on was saying, let's just take all of the world's great philosophies, you know, and instead of committing genocide on them, let's put them all on the table and 
and try to see what they have in common or, or how all of them are contributing to a richer universe. And so the result of that are books like A Brief History of Everything that you had mentioned, where you just sort of say, look, if we put all of these together, here's kind of an overview framework that will allow us to honor each of these philosophical schools because they're all important. They all have something important to say. Yeah. And so at some point, and I think it's very early in the game, but at some point that kind of philosophical unity or inclusiveness will run into a political inclusiveness where both intellectual genocide and real space genocide are overcome in a sense because we have a spaciousness that's large enough to tolerate those kinds of differences and we don't have to eradicate either people or ideas that don't happen to agree with us. Or don't fit, yeah, totally. And I, I think, think that's, that's what awesome. that's... Absolutely. Yeah, that's the interesting... So that's the integral impulse. I think that's why as different as in a sense where you and I might have come from, even more philosophically and you musically, we end up running into each other. Yeah. And that, which is good. Oh, it's great. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I do think that the truth is one and it's undeniable and and it runs through all of these rivers of religion. And, yeah, yeah. And it's a matter of deciphering that truth and yep. for yourself and feeling it in your heart. Yeah. And really, it's a wonderful, it's an impulse that's both incredibly rewarding in a certain sense and incredibly frustrating because it's seeing a potential for this kind of integral or unified or spacious awareness where differences can arise but arise within a holding space right and they're not merely different i like the way you put that oh that's well thanks and it's sort of i think that's Seriously, now I think that's the kind that holding space is what you hear when you listen to things like a system of a down song. There are all these different genres held in a holding space, and that's what holds it together as a tune or a melody. And that's why I keep finding these broad parallels, um, whether it's in arts or sciences or politics or philosophy. Uh, and that's what we, you know, that's basically the whole integral consciousness, and that's what's so fascinating about it. And so it, that part is. I think really encouraging. I think it spells a possibility of a real change in humanity, and it represents, in a sense, taking the best of indigenous cultures and the best of modern enlightenment, modern science, you know, putting them all together. Yeah. And but but at the same time, then it's really frustrating because I think we really are just on the edge of the promised land. Right. And so it's like. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I share your frustration definitely. I like the idea of uh, the holding space because it, to me, that holding space signifies uh, something different than what you're accustomed to, yet you accept it. Right. You know, and, and that's really cool. I like the theoretical aspect of how you put it. I like that. There's uh, one of the really great early pioneers of studying, in a sense, the natural history of consciousness, how you know how it unfolded, it was a guy named Gene Gebser. And Gebser was really an astonishing fellow and was writing in the first half of the century. And he outlined several phases or waves of consciousness unfolding. He called them archaic, magic, mythic, mental, and then the integral aperspectival. Now, that was a big sort of mouthful of a term, integral hyphen aperspectival. But it's a, it, it was interesting about that phrase, and we can use a Picasso painting as a kind of example. The aperspectival means that it's without perspective. In other words, no perspective is privileged. Oh, I see. Uh, but integral means the holding space in which it's still one picture. Yeah. So you can see all these different frames and different angles, and there's no three-dimensional perspective on a Picasso because almost every point is its own perspective, so it's aperspectival in that sense. And yet you can recognize a holding space. It's a single painting. You can recognize it as a work of art. 
Exactly. And it's a great phrase because it means sort of it's a fancy term for the the one in the many. Yeah. Or there's yeah. A, you know there's a diversity, but it's being held in that holding space. And it's the same again. It's the same thing I see when you have genre transcending music like System of a Down. It's the same. It, that's integral, a perspectival. There's all these different genres, but they're in a holding space that weaves them together into a melody, a tune, a song, however you want to call that. Yeah. So what we're waiting for is a world that weaves together Turks and Armenians and Palestinians and Americans into a song. Absolutely. And we don't quite have that one yet, do we? No. <laughs> no, I'm waiting for that world as well. Uh, yeah. It's interesting how the buildup of hate and all of that over centuries makes it so rigid, makes society so rigid uh, to change and to learn and to expand. We're all kind of trying to walk the walk between our, you know, contracted egoic selves on the one hand and our open, radiant, loving heart on the other, and we all yeah. sort of face that choice minute by minute. Yeah. And we can see what happens when somebody, you know, we really get really angry at a person and contracted and stuff, and, you, you know, it can take weeks or months or years to forgive that person. Now, you can imagine... You know, a whole nation hating a whole nother. <laughs> yeah. God, no. Yeah. I mean, ah, that's another part of the frustrating aspect of it. I, I, I agree. Um, I also think that there's um, the the concept of justice to me is key in relieving some of that pressure. Right. Certain generations will be hard to change based on what they've held in their hearts, be it hate or whatever, over the years. Right. But I think. To me, when there's justice in the universe, something is released. Yeah. Some some yeah. type of pain is released. Yeah. And it, it's, a, it's a form of equilibrium yeah. um, that I seek. It's, it's interesting. There's an old saying. Um, it's kind of become a cliche, but it's still a beautiful saying, which is better to light one candle than curse the darkness. <laughs> and it, that, that's, that's what, in a sense, yeah. I think we all come back to. Right. Uh, I was thinking of your postcard campaign, yeah. for example. And on the one hand, that's, that's just one small candle. Yeah. Like, you know, but on the other hand, it's a candle. Right. And I think that doing that does indeed, uh, because I think those kinds of moves towards justice really honor some deep fundamental truth, that that's why you feel that equilibrium? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening. We at Integral Life have been producing cutting-edge discussions and practices for over 15 years now, and most of the conversations are even more relevant today than when they were originally published, which is why we call them evergreen conversations. They never fade, they never spoil, and they only become more valuable the longer we sit with them. Which is why we're making many of these classic discussions available to you. Each week, we're featuring one of these conversations here in our Everyone is Right podcast. So be sure to subscribe to this feed with your favorite podcast app. We'll also continue to post excerpts and sometimes full episodes from our ongoing conversations at IntegralLife.com. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, we invite you to become a supporting member in order to access our premium audio and video podcast, as well as to help support the emergence of integral voices in the world. You can get your first month for only $1, which will give you access to our full library of perspectives, practices, and presentations, all designed to help you thrive in today's ever-changing and quickly evolving world.